Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Eagles on the Beach show. And uh, we're going to talk a little Georgia football. We're going to catch up on some things. And I know we got some NCAA basketball going on. I hope you guys are enjoying that. Uh, always fun to see. What do you think about Alabama going out? You know, let's start with some SEC news. All we heard all year from Alabama fans was, wow, that Crimson Tide. What a, you know, I, I think choke wouldn't be the right word, but Man, you go 11 to 25 from the free throw line and only 25% from three. Not a good performance by Alabama. Uh, a good season for the Tide, regular season champs, SEC tournament champs. This is what I don't like about college basketball, right? I know a lot of people like March Madness, so I don't want to upset everybody. But what I like about college football better than college basketball is I like the way the, the, the playoff ends. Maybe you can make the argument you need eight teams instead of four. But the important thing to me about college football that makes it so magical is the regular season means so much. College basketball, it's like, yeah, all you got to do is make the tournament, right? Yeah, there's some good games, but if your team loses, you kind of shrug and go, ah, it's just one game. College football, your team loses, man, you got to live with that other team's fan base for a year. I know Georgia fans right now, all those Florida fans keep talking about beating Georgia even though Georgia was clearly a better football team, Florida caught them at the right time. And that's a big part of how college football works is when do you play these teams, right? It sure did hurt Georgia to have four guys go down with injuries in that Kentucky game and have Richard LeCount crash that motorcycle. You know, if Georgia plays Florida uh, the first three or four weeks of the season, I don't have any doubt in my mind that Georgia would have hammered Florida but as it was, uh, Florida caught – I think they caught a break. They had two out of three weeks off with COVID, uh, COVID tracing, and then they went out and beat the heck out of Missouri, and they were ready for Georgia. You know, they played one game in three weeks. Georgia, meanwhile, gotten in a dogfight with Kentucky, very physical football game, had all those defensive guys get knocked out. Jordan Davis, he was out. You know, you think about who didn't play against Florida, Jordan Davis, Kenny McIntosh, George Pickens. And then Stetson Bennett gets injured when you're up 14 to zero, just three minutes into the game, you're killing him. So, and, and then he goes out with a shoulder. Dwan struggles. Bennett comes back in injured, can't get anything done. And that's all she wrote. Uh, you know, give Florida credit. They won last year's game, but, you know, it has everything to do with when they played them. So tonight I wanted to talk about over-under win totals. And I always, I always have fun with that. I always enjoy seeing those numbers and those stats and those projections. Uh, I, I found it on Twitter today. Uh, it looks like Alabama uh, is at 10.5. Uh, it looks like uh, Arkansas is at 3.5. Auburn's at 8.5. Georgia at 10.5. Kentucky, 6.5. LSU, 9.5. Interesting numbers here uh, on these over-unders on win totals. And I'll be very curious to see how that pans out. So I thought, well, I'm going to – go ahead and take a look at the Georgia football schedule and let me see what I think Georgia should win. I, I, I'm not sure. So I guess let's go through this together. I haven't even rehearsed this, right? I just said, let me call it up. Let me talk to folks on the show about it tonight on our Ingles on the beach show. Let's take a look at the Georgia schedule and we see they open with Clemson. To me, Clemson is a game that Georgia will be favored in. I'm not going to say they should win, I think they will win. Uh, I'm kind of reserved still. I know Kirby's talked about wanting to see some continuity on the offensive line. 
You know, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of five stars there. I think you should feel good and optimistic, but it's not settled. Certainly JT Daniels looks great. And yeah, you lost Pickens and uh, he was a go-to guy. There's no two ways about it. You could try to double him. He's still going to get open. He was going to be George's Julio Jones, but, but he's out and indefinitely. And you may not see him at all next year. What you will see is a lot of different players contribute. With George out, that's about 120 targets that's up for grabs now between guys like Jermaine Burton and Dominic Blaylock and Kiaris Jackson. Um, you know, we're hearing a lot about Justin Robinson lately. Uh, he's had a pretty good spring. Tough kid from Eagles Christian, uh, a guy that, you know, went through a broken hand and a shoulder last year and, and even a little bit of a knee. So he's a, he's a tough kid that's battled through some injuries. Another big target. Uh, maybe this is the year for D-Rob. You know, Demetrius Robertson's a guy that, well, let's face it, he's had a tough year. And he did come back for another year. And I think this gives him an opportunity to step up. And then, of course, you got the tight ends, right? Brock Bowers is a guy. He was the first guy that Kirby mentioned when he talked about how the Pickens injury wasn't going to be putting it on another receiver. It was going to be putting it on everybody. So, you know, the incoming freshman, Brock Bowers, right? Uh, Certainly Darnell Washington's a guy I know fans are excited about. Big 265, 270-pound target. Kirby talked about the conditioning last year. Uh, if Darnell's in prime condition, he could be tough. Uh, you know, And he's a dual threat tight end. Not only can he go out and get open, and you've seen his hands. The hands are amazing. He's got NFL hands. But he can block. He can really knock you back. And that makes him a tough matchup because – you know, he's good enough that if you try to put a linebacker on him, I think he can beat a linebacker, but he's big enough that you can't really cover him with a safety. So he's going to create some matchup problems. I think John Fitzpatrick is another guy that's quietly gotten better. Um, maybe not much of a threat after the catch, but with his size and his catch radius as big as he is, I think Fitzpatrick is going to be in line for a really good year. Kirby keeps sending him out for interviews, right? So that must tell you something. So I think that while George Pickens being out, certainly a blow, and it's disappointing because I think George was going to have a – I think he was going to approach 100 catches, maybe even go over. Uh, I know he was off to a great start. But it also makes George maybe in some respects a little tougher to prepare for because who's going to get you, right? I wrote today three key things that Kirby said um, during this offseason that, that I think really resonated with me. And one of them was, was about the offense and how everybody was going to be involved. Well, here's what that tells me based on what I've seen from George in the past and based on what I know about the air raid and Todd Munkin. There's always an answer for the air raid. When JT Daniels goes to the line, that defense is giving you something. You've got to figure out what it is, right? And that's based on their alignment. Now, JT is a really sharp guy. He's a lot like Jake Fromm. These guys are coaches at the line of scrimmage. They're able to read the defense and figure out what the defense is doing and get you into the right play. You saw the value of that last year. I thought Stetson did a pretty good job with that. But I think JT takes it to another level. I mean, if you read some of the stories I've written on JT, talking to his coaches from high school, this is a guy that was diagramming plays on a high school level as a sixth grader, and they identified that. This is a guy that was starting at Matter Day from his freshman year on. He was the national freshman of the year. He was the national sophomore of the year. And then his junior year, he was the national player of the year, and he won a national title. Then what should have been his senior year, he was at USC. Now, USC struggled. They had some protection issues. 
Uh, JT threw some picks. And so his freshman year with USC going five and six, it was almost as if he went from all the hype of being the number three guy in his class behind Trevor Lawrence, behind Justin Fields, to like just kind of falling off the map. And when he transferred to Georgia, there's a lot of people saying, well, you know, he couldn't beat out uh, Kadon Slovis. Well, that's not what happened. He got, he did beat out Slovis. He was the starter at the beginning of the 2019 season. He got injured. And then once he was injured, he saw how well Slovis did. And Slovis built a really good relationship with the offensive coordinator. And JT felt rather than try to jump back into that mix, maybe find a better situation, maybe find a cleaner path to the field, maybe find a program that you can win a championship at right away. And so there was a lot of interest from programs, um, LSU, Ohio State, Michigan, and Tennessee, especially Tennessee, really pushed for JT Daniels. And when you looked at Georgia, you thought, well, there's Jamie Newman and there's Dwan Mathis and there's Carson Beck. So we really didn't see the pathway. What we didn't know was what Todd Munkin did know. And that was without the benefit of a spring, it was going to be very hard for Jamie Newman to adapt to a new offense, a multifaceted offense at that. So when Georgia started looking for a quarterback that maybe would fit a little better, I don't think they necessarily counted on JT to compete in 2020. I think the knee was a question mark, but you knew for sure that in 2021, he'd be a great fit. And so Munkin and JT hit it off and JT really liked what he heard from Todd Munkin and Munkin really liked what he heard back from JT. And so now you're going to see the fruition of that. If you go back to the end of last year, the last four games, there were only two quarterbacks that had a better passer rating than JT Daniels from November 20th on, right? That's when JT started when he, when he began the Mississippi state game, you look at those last four games, only Mac Jones and Zach Wilson of BYU had higher passer ratings those last four games. JT's numbers were better than Justin Fields the last four games. They're better than uh, Sam, Sam's at, uh, at uh, North Carolina. Uh, last name slips my mind right now. Um, Sam Howell, maybe. They were better than all those other numbers. And that was the last four games. And that was with JT having played scout team all year, right? Eric Zire talked a lot about that with Buck Blue on a 680 The Fan Show, and I wrote about that. But when Eric Zire is calling you out with praise, that means a lot. I think Eric Zire is one of the all-time great quarterbacks in SEC history. I don't think he gets his due. I mean, when Eric finished at Georgia, he was the SEC's all-time leading passer. And I don't think he really got full credit. That was before social media. College football was a lot more regional, you know, people across the country didn't really follow the SEC like they do now with the SEC network and with the programming the way it is. So Eric, Eric's career, if Eric played now, he would have gotten much more pop. And, and, and Peyton Manning came a few years later and passed him up as the all-time leader. So Eric Zire is a guy, though, that I think is a legend. And I really listen to the things that he says. I think he does a great job with color analysis uh, for the Georgia Sports Radio Network. I think he's a gem. I know a lot of Georgia fans appreciate him, but but anyway, Eric was talking about how impressed he was with JT that, you know, here's a guy that was able to stay that plugged in, even though he was with the scout team, even though he wasn't even working. I mean, he hadn't worked with these receivers before the Mississippi State game or the week before he did, um, because I believe there was a game canceled, right? I can't try to remember how that worked. I think there was a, a game postponed. I can't remember, but he only had about a week of preparation uh, with, this, with the players. 
you know, he practiced with him in the fall back in August and September before the season started, but he hadn't been with him in a couple months. So for him to come back in and, and throw for four touchdowns and 400 yards in that first start, that was pretty amazing. It, 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 to this day, that was one of the more amazing performances I've seen as a college football writer. You could say Mississippi State's not the greatest team, but to see those bombs, watching, you know, JT stretch the field like he did, it was one bomb after another. And then after the game, you know, Kirby, you know, saying, you know, well, you know, JT likes some of those plays back. or I don't know if that was the prime. Like you could tell the head coach wasn't really exactly sure what to make about this. But I think as time went on, and I think certainly now, you guys, have, you've seen the difference in Kirby. I had someone say to me today, I did the, the Feinbaum show today on the SEC Network, and they always choose one quote, right? You go in there for 15 minutes, they're going to choose one quote. And the quote that they chose for me was, you know, that the, the, the sun's shining on Kirby, that, that this isn't the guy that was kind of gloomy at the end of last year. You know, he's turned the page and, you know, there's a lot of optimism coming from Kirby. And someone said, how, oh, you know, boy, that's a, that's a huge assertion for you to say he was gloomy. Kirby Smart, folks, was not happy to lose to Florida. Okay. Georgia in 2017, 2018, and 2019 was in national championship contention every game of the regular season, all three years, all three years, up to the SEC title game. They were national. Every game had national championship implications from Georgia the entire regular regular season in 17, 18, and 19. And when they lost that game to Florida, they lost control of that for the first time since 2016. Of course, Kirby wasn't happy. Of course, he was disappointed. The guy burns competition. So it's not a leap. Of course, he was upset. That, that doesn't mean he's not a good coach. That doesn't mean he's not, you know, getting his players fired up. Doesn't mean he's not doing a great job recruiting. But he ain't going to be happy if he's not winning championships. I, you know, if Kirby doesn't win the East, you know, listen, he wants to win. Now, he doesn't talk about it a lot because he tells you, hey, what good's talking about it? You don't win games by talking about it. Kirby's a show-me kind of guy. Remember, the, we talk with our helmets kind of thing. So he's not into the hype. He's not into all that stuff. And he's pretty transparent. And when they're winning games, he's happy. He says, how about them blank dogs? And when they're losing games, he's upset. And that's the way it ought to be. So that's not an insult to Kirby to say that he was kind of gloomy at the end of last year. He was. Kirby's here to win championships, just like you want. This is the guy you want. You want a guy that's upset. You think Nick Saban's happy when he ain't winning titles? Of course not. Think Urban Meyer? No. Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Who was it that said it? I can't remember, but I believe that quote. So my message today was really just about how much optimism and what a good vibe there is in Athens. I don't know about you, but I feel so much better about this program and the direction of it than the end of last year. I mean, there were some disappointing things that happened. You know, Richard LeCount's motorcycle accident was probably the most disturbing and disappointing thing because Richard's such a fan favorite and such a, a good guy. I think a person that we all, uh, you know, root for as an individual, certainly I do, because I think he's a good, good person. And his mom, uh, Erica, is a wonderful person as well. Um, you, you want to see good things happen. And that was just a tough break. Jordan Davis, the quarterback situation, right? So, so what I'm saying is 2020 is in the rearview mirror. And now it's 2021. 
and I think they should and will beat Clemson. Uh, UAB, definitely a win. South Carolina, slam dunk win. Vanderbilt, I mean, will Kirby score 100 on these guys? I mean, really. Vanderbilt took a piece of Georgia senior's legacy. They took something from Kirby's first class, and those guys can't get it back. They would have beat Vanderbilt, and they would have been the winningest class in Georgia history, and Vanderbilt took that from them. They stole it. They chickened out. They didn't want to play Georgia, so they canceled one week, and then they managed to play against Tennessee, their, their game, the next week, and then they canceled again. And Greg McGarity told us it was going to happen, and they did it, and I still think it was wrong. And people, oh, well, you know, I said, no, no, no. They could have played. They could have played. I, I think it was cowardice. I think it's a mark on that program. I've always been a guy that's kind of pulled for the underdog. You know, if Vanderbilt knocks somebody off, I'd say, well, good for Vandy. That changed my perception of Vanderbilt football. I, I thought it was cowardice. Uh, I didn't like the things I was hearing about some of the stuff going on with a female kicker and how they reacted to that in the locker room. I was very disappointed with that program. Maybe Clark Lee can change my mind and, and get it back in a good direction. Like Sam Pittman has at Arkansas. That's going to be the October 2nd game at Sanford Stadium. And while I think Georgia will win, I absolutely believe that Sam Pittman's Razorbacks are going to give Georgia all they want. And it's not just because of Sam. You know, Arkansas brings back 20 starters. I think all their defensive guys are back. I, I, I think they're going to have like – 16 seniors that came, some ridiculous number of seniors came back. Sam did a podcast with us on one of these Monday night shows. You can find it in our YouTube gallery um, or in our YouTube videos when Sam was on. Uh, you just get a feeling that Arkansas is back. Now, I don't know if they're going to win the West, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Arkansas with six or seven wins next season, maybe even eight. Then you got Auburn at Jordan here. You know, this is the game you kind of circle – I do at least because Bo Nix is a guy that I, I like Bo Nix. Now, some people will say they think he's garbage and he doesn't throw the ball, but I like the intangibles that Bo Nix has. I think he's a winner. I think he's a leader. He's a third year quarterback. And to me, this is the first guy. I mean, the Clemson, obviously, uh, DJ Angelai and Goli and Clemson could exploit Georgia's secondary. But after that, I know UAB's got their starting quarterback back, but. I don't think UAB is a team that can exploit Georgia's young secondary, nor do I think South Carolina will or can. Certainly Vanderbilt can't. Arkansas, Felipe Franks went pro. But that Auburn game, to me, will really be the first time since the opener that the Georgia secondary could be challenged. Because I think the Auburn offensive line will be better. Remember last year, I think four out of their five starters were new. That's largely why they look so bad against Georgia. Part of the reason Gus got fired, he didn't do a good job keeping his offensive line stacked. Um, and he gave up the play calling, which was just didn't make any sense to me. And I said that. Um, so Auburn can be a – Kentucky, Kentucky's become a, a, a physical team. Kentucky is, has become uh, a tough game. They, they really have. Now, Georgia's won. I, I don't feel like Georgia's really been threatened to lose against Kentucky. But that 21-0 win in the rain and the 14-3 game last year – I mean, that was some slobber knocker football. I mean, Kentucky plays you tough, and uh, Georgia has an off week after that. And then they play Florida um, in Jacksonville, a game currently contracted to stay in Jacksonville through 2023. Um, I don't think Florida next season has what it takes to beat Georgia. I didn't think they did last year either. 
but they did have Kyle Trask coming back. And I'm not certain what I think about this quarterback yet. And Trask had a really good year. I think uh, Kadarius Tony had a breakout season, certainly Kyle Pitts. Those guys are gone, right? So they lost a few, couple few senior receivers. Um, they lost Trask. And I think their defense is going to be a little young. So I don't think Florida is going to be uh, a close game. I think Georgia probably wins that by three touchdowns. Presuming JT Daniels stay healthy. Then you got Missouri. And, and yeah, Missouri, you know, they're kind of – every time you count Missouri out, it seems like they play it close. I don't know. Eli Drinkwitz made the mistake last year. And I thought it was a mistake. Because while Kirby doesn't talk trash, I think he picks up on it when other people say things. I think he – and when Eli said that that game last year was going to be a measuring stick for Missouri, I think Kirby said, okay, let's measure. And Because uh, Georgia really – I mean, that was a really – strong Georgia football effort at Missouri last year. And it was really cold. I was impressed. You know, there were a couple things about that game that had upset written all over it. One was the noon kickoff. I think we can put that to bed. Remember Kirby said early in the season that, you know, his guys didn't always do good in noon games. And I looked it up and it was like two and three at one point in noon SEC kickoff games. I think Kirby has put some emphasis on it. When, when Kirby and Georgia circle something and say – we're going to fix this. They, they do right. When he addresses it, like when he puts a priority on it and I think whatever it was, I think they solved that early kickoff thing. And, and even the cold weather, cause I thought, wow, you know, these Missouri guys, you know, they train in it and the Georgia guys, you know, it's cold. They go indoors sometimes Kirby will keep them outside sometimes, but I thought the cold weather and the early kickoff gave Missouri an upset chance and Georgia just went out there and stomped them. At Tennessee, November 13th, you know, I thought this was interesting. Um, somebody on Twitter, and I, I know I shouldn't pay attention to Twitter, but I do. I'm human. I, I, you know. Someone said, well, this guy thought Butch Jones was good, so I'm not going to listen to him. I mean, he had three straight bowl games and back-to-back top 25 finishes, and he beat Florida and Georgia in the same season. If I'm a Tennessee fan, that looks pretty good to me right now. Do you think Tennessee would take three straight bowl wins? two tight top 25s and win over Georgia, Florida, same season. Cause see, I think that's pretty good. So I said it was pretty good. And I, you know, the next year they didn't, you know, they had knucklehead AD or chancellor wouldn't let them hire an offensive coordinator. So he had to promote a guy that wasn't, um, you know, ready for it. And um, you know, they lost a heartbreaker to Florida and team packed it in uh, and they fired Butch and that was that. But, I thought Butch Jones did some good things offensively. You know, I thought he had a couple very impressive wins against Georgia with Josh Dobbs. And, you know, he recruited that guy and flipped him from Arizona State. I think he had an eye for talent. He got Alvin Kamara from Alabama. Saban said he didn't want him. Butch took him in, right? So I thought he did some good things. But nevertheless, back to the conversations. Uh, November 13th at Neyland Stadium. Uh, I think Georgia beats Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee lost a lot. And then you've got Charleston Southern. You know, that's, that's a get healthy game. It's a buy game. I know fans don't like that, um, but the reality of it is, is you, you've got to put the brakes on. When you play it in the SEC and you play a difficult schedule like this, you know, you got to have a game like that where some younger kids can get some opportunities and some playing time. That was the difficult thing about last year's schedule. I really thought the SEC dealt Georgia a tough hand. You know, remember we talked about how front-loaded and physical it was? Well, part of that wears you down, but the other part of that is because those games are so contested, you don't really have an opportunity to play some of the younger guys and develop them. And, and it also kind of keeps the locker room happy. You know, if, if you could have moved that Missouri game up, if you could have moved that South Carolina game up, right. 
Um, that would have really been good to have one of those guys at the start of the season. Instead, you, you played this really tough stretch. I mean, Tennessee had won eight games in a row when Georgia played them, and they actually led at halftime. You remember when, when Samir White got stopped from the one twice. So um, they held the lead at halftime. Tennessee was beating Georgia at halftime last year. That's how fast college football can change, right? Um, and then the Georgia Tech game, which you, you know, you guys know how I feel about that. I just, I don't get it. Uh, I just don't think it's worth the effort for Georgia. You win, you're supposed to. It's a physical game. Uh, it's a gritty game. This year it's back at Bobby Dodd Stadium. They didn't play last year, so Georgia didn't get the home. You know, you're going to a 55,000-seat stadium on a weekend. Nobody cares about that game. They're watching Alabama-Auburn, right, or Florida-Florida State. And it kind of pales, and you don't get recruits there. And, um, but, you know, I do recognize that that's been a tradition. What I would like to see, if I was, if I was king of the world, I'd move Georgia Tech up to the start of the year. Um, or I would just drop it and replace it with Clemson. I'd just go home and home with Clemson. You know, the beautiful thing about that Clemson game is it doesn't matter if Georgia loses. It really doesn't. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, you'd be good with it and all that's okay. But, I mean, if Georgia, Georgia can lose to Clemson and still make it in the college football playoff, right? Clemson can lose to Georgia and still make it in the college. Because Clemson, if they don't win the ACC, they're not going anyway. So, Clemson it means nothing to them. But Georgia – now, you might make the case, well – it would hurt Georgia's chances as an at-large. But we've already seen that they don't give Georgia credit as an at-large. 2018, they should have been in. Now, one good piece of news is that the Georgia Tech AD and the Florida AD and the Oklahoma AD are no longer on the College Football Selection Committee. That's good news. So, Because I think the dice were loaded against Georgia. I, I've made no secret of that. But um, I think, you know, if Georgia loses to Clemson, and, and again, I, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but if they win the SEC, they're in the playoff, right? So that's what the cool thing is about playing uh, Clemson. I'd love to see that become a home-and-home. Home. I would much rather see Georgia play Clemson home-and-home home than Georgia Tech. I just don't see the value of, of the Georgia Tech series. But some people love it. Um, you know, they call it a tradition. Um, I don't know. Uh, what Worshipping at the ashes of tradition, I think I've heard people say. Sometimes things change. Uh, I'm sure you guys have some thoughts on that. I want to take a short break right now. And when I come back, I want to take some questions and have a little bit more interaction with you guys and, and talk a little bit more. Uh, I'd listed the five most intriguing offensive players the other day. I want to talk a little bit about that. And, you know, maybe you guys can give me some ideas. I've got to write my story tomorrow, the five most intriguing defensive players. I was going to write it today, but these guys just keep committing, right? Jeff Sintel keeps breaking this news of all these commits. Um, such great news for Georgia Kirby's on a roll, but let's take a break for a moment. Um, you talk about being on a roll, huh? How about angles, right? Have they not been on a roll the way they've continued to deliver? I mean, throughout the pandemic Ingles was there for all of us, certainly uh, helped my family out. Um, those frontline workers that continue to get us the supplies. And now as more and more people get vaccinated and our society picks up momentum, Ingles continues to serve continues to be your grocery store. Let's take a moment and recognize Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. Well, 
Welcome back to the program. Mike Griffith here. It's the second half, an abbreviated second half, admittedly. I'm getting on my phone right now. Um, so I, I got my laptop so we can see the camera on that. But I want to take a look at some of your comments on tonight's show. Um, I really appreciate everybody being in here tonight for the show. If you could, if you could share it, that would be great. In fact, let me do that right now. Um, the shares are important. You know, uh, it helps us with our traffic and more people can see the shows. Uh, they've done things a little differently uh, with Facebook now. So I do a little bit more sharing in my show. Uh, I put it on my personal page. I know a lot of you guys are Facebook friends with me. I appreciate that. Thank you. And uh, I pre appreciate all the support that I get from, from you guys there as well. So uh, it, it, it has been a, a fun off season. There's been some momentum. It's so nice to have spring football. I wish I could be out there watching some of it. But I do understand why Georgia has it locked down still. I understand the tight regulations on that. Um, it's been nice to hear from Coach Kirby Smart uh, tomorrow night. We'll have some players out there uh, that will be doing interviews, and I look forward to that as well. I know you guys do too. Um, not sure who they're going to bring out, uh, but Kirby usually sends us some interesting guys. There's some new faces and some new names. And You know, a minute ago I was talking about how um, – Gosh, I'm trying to multitask here. My brain's not working. I was talking about my five most intriguing offensive players. And now that doesn't mean that I think they're going to be the best players. It's just, to me, they're like the most intriguing, right? Um, and so my thought is these are the guys I can't wait to see what do they do this season and how good are they? So they, they may not even be the starter, right? So like Carson Beck, I, what's going to happen with Carson Beck? Is he going to be the number two? Is he going to beat out Stetson? Is he going to hold off Brock Vandegrift? I mean, I've heard great things about Carson two years. Great athlete. We remember that Aaron Murray said he looked the best in that one scrimmage. Um, but from what I understand, he's learning the playbook. He's, he's gotten bigger, stronger, faster. But, hey, Stetson Bennett's a good quarterback, right, or good enough quarterback. And I think he's earned some trust with Kirby, you know. Um, so I don't think it's a given that Carson passes him up. And then Vandegrift's got a big arm. Now, I don't know how quickly Brock can learn this offense. It's complex. Brock's a smart kid, though. And can Brock catch Carson, right? And we won't even get into to Gunner next year. So, to me, Carson's intriguing. Uh, Dejon Edwards is a guy. When we had Monty Rice on the show, I know you guys enjoyed Monty. I did. And good to see Monty run a low 4-5 or high 4-5 number, break that 4-6. Monty had a really good pro day, really helped himself out, probably third, fourth-round pick. Uh, but Monty said, hey, look out for Dejan Edwards. Players know. If Monty, if Monty Rice is telling us to look out for Dejan Edwards, I'm going to look out for Dejan Edwards. Now, I think Kenny McIntosh is the best all-around back, but he's missing spring with the elbow. Um, Kendall Milton is a guy I think is going to have a great spring and gain, make big gains. James Cook, uh, exciting player. I think Cook will be a guy that really picks up targets with George out. Um, and of course, Zamir White. And you know what you're going to get from Zamir. He's a blue collar back. He's going to get you what's there. He's going to pass, protect. Um, he's going to be a leader. You know, he's going to give you all he's got. But could Dejon Edwards, could he be a benefactor of the Pickens injury? Might he now somehow, if, if Cook gets used more in a receiver slot position? And I don't know that that's going to happen. Um, it's up to Todd Munkin to figure out how to get the best guys on the field and exploit the matchups. But Dejon Edwards is intriguing. Broderick Jones, a guy that you know, needed to get bigger, stronger, and has done that here. And now he's between 310, 315. And yet still, I know they want more power out of Broderick Jones. Can he get powerful enough to win that left tackle job? 
It's a tall order. Xavier Truss is in year three, kid from Rhode Island. Kirby talked about him last week. Um, you know, I've got questions, right? But Broderick Jones is a guy could be a first, a future first-round talent. I mean, he's that talented of a kid. His feet are that good. Um, Marius Mims, just a matter of time. I mean, he's an absolute monster. I'm hearing he's just uh, – just a great prospect. So three potential answers there at left tackle. Then you wonder, well, what about Warren McClendon at right tackle? Warren, Warren better work hard. Warren was a freshman All-American. Um, that doesn't mean you're going to hold your job at Georgia, right? Because they recruit really well here, and Matt Luke can develop guys. So Broderick Jones was another guy um, that I thought was, was really intriguing. He was on my most intriguing list as well. Uh, Brock Bowers is a guy. Kirby's mentioned him. Uh, he's a freshman. He's got good speed and good hands. Uh, certainly we know about Darnell Washington. We saw a sneak preview of that. But can Brock Bowers enter the scene and kind of be like a George Kittle kind of guy? That's kind of the vibe. It's kind of what I'm hearing. So those are some of the guys on offense that I had on most intriguing defense. I can already tell you, Anna Anderson is without a doubt the guy that I can't wait to see. I mean, Kirby's talking about using him as a star. And I was, Kirby will say, well, you know, we, that's just our outside guy in the 3-4. Well, yeah, coach, it is. But – Mark Webb was that guy last year, 210. You know, Adam is a little bit more linebacker. It's a hybrid, you know, star. It's kind of a hybrid linebacker, DB position. It's like the old monster guy back in, you know, if you remember the monster man on defenses back in the day, you know, kind of a, a bigger defensive back that was strong and tough enough to play like a linebacker, but fleet enough and, and skilled enough to cover. And Kirby talking about doing some things to challenge Adam Anderson and have him work in coverage a little bit. That's intriguing to me. If Adam can be that kind of guy, he's going to make a lot of money. I think he's going to make a lot of money anyway because we know that he's a pass rush extraordinaire with just how quick he is. But the benefit of Adam Anderson working out as a star, if he can pull this off, is this is how you get Adam and Nolan Smith on the field at the same time. And I think that's big because I think Nolan Smith is poised to have a big year. He's heard a lot about Aziz Adjilari playing ahead of him. Now, Nolan, a former number one overall recruit, is finally going to get a chance to show what he can do. And I think that's going to be really fascinating. So those are two of the guys right there as a sneak preview. I haven't written the story yet. Um, I'm going to take a look at some of your comments now because um, I do appreciate the audience. appreciate you guys uh, watching. What do we got here? Wes Underwood, how do I get a badge? Uh, Wes, I don't know how that works. I don't have anything to do with the badges. I don't. I know that's kind of a thing for commenters. I wish I had like a button I could click because um, I would certainly reward the people that say the nicest things about me uh, or that comment or that follow, but I don't know how the badges work. So I can't answer that question. I'm sorry. Uh, Tennille, uh, we're talking about a modern day Rudy. Are we talking about Stetson? I made the comment that he's better than Rudy. Rudy didn't really do much. I mean, Stetson, the Stetson Bennett story is pretty darn amazing. And if he doesn't get hurt against Florida, he beats Florida. Stetson beats Florida. If he, if he doesn't get the shoulder injury, Georgia beats Florida. And Georgia plays Alabama again. Now, do I think they would have beat Alabama with Stetson? Probably not, even in a rematch. But I, I truly believe that. And so he's better than a, you know, he's better than, better than Rudy. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. What else we got here, guys? Looking at your comments here tonight. Uh, appreciate all the action we're getting. Uh, 
All the Rick Martin says all the UGA fans are getting their hopes up. I've been a UGA fan over 50 years, and I can tell you something will go wrong. Rick, Rick, come on now, Rick. You, you can't bring that kind of karma. That's not good, Rick. I don't think the Georgia guy – got to think about something. Think about this, because I think fans sometimes read a little too much into this. We look at it as people that have watched SEC football for a long time, and we go, well, you know, it's just that program's just really had our number. Well, you know what? These players, they haven't been here more than two or three years, most of them. They don't have some feeling of gloom and doom. They weren't here for the 2017 second and 26. Most of them weren't even here for 2018. Most of these guys only played Alabama once and said, we were beating them at halftime at their place. We didn't even have JT yet. Right. So, you know, you may have the recency bias of some losses, but these players, they got short memories. Like, you go, oh, well, you know, I, you know, last time Florida came to game in the Sanford Stadium, they killed us. So let's just keep you. These guys weren't even born yet. They have no record. They don't know who Steve Spurrier is. They don't know. And, oh, yeah, he's that old guy, isn't he? They don't they don't quake in fear of Steve Spurrier or, or, or have these hangovers from the 90s. They, they watch SEC Network. They don't know Chris Doring. They don't know who he was. Uh, you know, no offense, Chris. You know, but they, they don't know. They're young kids. They don't worry. So when you say, I know something's going to go wrong, that's your bias. These guys are year one, year two, year three. They, look, as far as they're concerned, they're happy to be at one of the best programs in the country. They're around other five-star players that could have gone anywhere. And they're coming to play for Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning and Todd Munkin. They don't, they don't have any of this, oh, well, something's going to – no, no, nothing's going to go wrong in their mind. right? They don't think they're going to lose a game. That's a confident group. Now, they're not talking about it, putting on Twitter, because you don't do that, right? That's not the Georgia football culture. Like Kirby said, you talk with your helmets. Now, every now and then you'll see them put out a video, hey, going to work out, you know, pump up video. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but you don't see Georgia bragging or putting anybody else down. That ain't the Georgia – that's not the culture that Kirby's built here. So, Rick, I understand your sentiment, but just remember that's not the sentiment of the players. That's not what they believe. So, you know, history is one thing, but these kids live in the now, and they don't really care a lot about history. If they did, they'd be asking me all about covering Alabama and Auburn and Tennessee in the 1990s, but they don't even know that, and they don't care, right? And I don't care because that was then, and this is now. You know, people say, oh, Mike, you cover all these teams. Which one's your favorite? I like them all. Every, every era, every chapter has been great. Covering Auburn with Terry Bowden in 93 and 94, it was awesome. I saw him beat Spurrier twice his first two years as a coach. Covering Alabama with Gene Stallings, we've covered this ground. Covering Tennessee when they won a 98 national title, pretty awesome. Michigan State Rose Bowl, that was great, right? Even Butch Jones had a few highlights in there, a lot of drama. But Georgia, man, Georgia's first class everything. Everything with Georgia is first class. The fans are first class. The stadium's first class. Athens is first class. That's why I don't know why you ever want to give a game away. Everything about Georgia football is first class. There's nothing that I look at and say, yeah, that could be better, except for the scheduling, and we've talked about that. So let's see. What else you guys got for me here tonight? Uh... Yeah, Jan, Armistead said, trust better has his act together. I'm with you, Jan. I thought Kirby, I don't want to say put trust on notice, 
but when he, when the Providence Rhode Island reporter was on um, the Zoom call the other day and asked about Xavier, I mean, Kirby said he's working very hard. Uh, you know, he said, you know, he's a really nice young man to be around. He pointed out that he came from a different level of high school football than what he's competing with in the South. And, um, you know, he said sometimes he'd like to see him play with more emotion. I mean, that's the head coach telling Xavier Truss, hey, man, I need to see more emotion out of you. This is an emotional game, right? So I wouldn't say that's putting him on notice, but I think that's Kirby giving him constructive criticism in a roundabout way. And Kirby's not going to say anything on Zoom about a player that he, that he hasn't already said to him or that a position coach hasn't already said to him. Kirby doesn't call out his players in a negative way. Uh, really, he doesn't. Now, he'll let you know when he's disappointed, but he's not telling you anything the player doesn't already know. Kirby prefers to be transparent. That's all. And I think, I think most of you are glad that he's like that. I think it makes, I think it makes Kirby more fun to cover because people are like, man, he could be pretty ornery. Well, sure he can. But I'd rather him be ornery if that's how he's feeling than fake it. I don't want some coach faking it. I don't want some coach acting all happy and cheery when, you know, I don't want that. I, I want to know what Kirby's really thinking. I want to know how he really feels. And I'm good with that because football is a passionate game. It is. It, you know, like I said, the basketball guys can be cool and, and stay even because you play 31 games. But football, man, you only get what? I guess you could get 15. That's not many opportunities. You work 365 days a year so that you can play a guaranteed 12-game schedule? Only 12 games. Think about that. Not 30, not Major League Baseball 162, not the NBA 82 or 90. 12. So those games mean so much. So so much goes into them. And and I think that's why we like football so much. That's why I like football. Uh, Matt Telly respects the heck out of Stetson Bennett. But he says he hopes that we don't see him in a game. Oh, Tally, you, you are the king of irony. I understand what you're saying. I'll leave your comment as it is because I do understand what you mean. Um, what do we got here? Uh, well, we've got uh, – so looking at the Facebook comments. Tally is really lighting it up. Love, love those Matt Tally comments. Correct me up here. Um Steve Highland's calling Rick out for having a bad attitude. <laughs> I like it when you guys police each other. That's what I mean about the Georgia fans. You know, you guys really police each other. You keep it positive. You know, something else that was pretty cool that happened recently. And I was talking to Ray Goff the other night. And I, I'm a fan of Ray Goff. I'm a fan of Ray Goff the person. Because I don't think Ray Goff gets enough love. I don't. You know, I know that his tenure as a head coach wasn't scintillating. He did recruit Kirby Smart to Georgia, though. That's kind of important. He also recruited Will Muschamp to Georgia, and that probably is important, too. Will was a walk-on, but, you know, got a scholarship under Ray. Ray brought in a lot of good guys to Georgia. He really did. And Ray was a Georgia Bulldog himself. I almost feel like the, the Georgia fans are really good about admiring and respecting their former players. But maybe a lot of people don't remember that Ray was the 1976 SEC player of the year. That's not easy to do. And he won an SEC championship as a player. And then he worked under Coach Dooley for eight years as an assistant coach, a loyal assistant, and then seven years as the head coach. So Ray Goff put in 19 
good years at Georgia that he gave of his life. And I think he's a good man. I know he's a good man. And, you know, now he's a uh, upstanding member of the community. Certainly he's uh, enjoyed some success as a businessman with Zaxby's, a, a local chain that I think everyone enjoys. Um, certainly they're based right over here by Athens. Um, you know, that's a very reputable company uh, and, and raised a big part of that. And, and he's a big part of Georgia history. When I had him on the show last summer, maybe it was the summer before, I can't remember. It all kind of runs together. It might've been last summer. Kirby Smart wanted to come on and talk to Ray Goff. Like he wanted to surprise his coach. That's what Ray Goff means. And I want to see Ray Goff in the circle of honor. And I understand that there's certain provisions, right? So Ray graduated from Georgia. Now they say you got to be an All-American. Well, there's swimming All-Americans up there. How many swimming All-Americans are there every year? But he was the SEC player of the year. It's not Ray's fault that the All-American committee dropped the ball. I mean, if you're the SEC player of the year, that to me equals All-American. So to me, Ray belongs in the circle. Like I believe that should happen. I, I don't know why it hasn't, but I think it's an oversight, uh, much like I think that Herschel Walker as a player should have a statue on campus. Um, you know, that's one area I think Georgia could do a little bit better. I love the statue of Coach Julie by the football building. That is so cool. But I think Georgia could do a little bit better uh, with, with, with Ray Goff and, and Herschel Walker. Okay. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of Herschel Walker, all right? I'm just saying as a running back, he deserves to have a statue or some sort of monument because he is, in my opinion, the greatest offensive player that Georgia's ever had. Um, and David Pollock is the most decorated defensive player. And I think sooner or later, we got to start talking about what can Georgia do for David Pollock. I think David does a great job on the SEC Network. Um, David is another one of these guys that, that's not just going to whistle Dixie, you know, for you and, and just tell you what you want to hear. And some, sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. But I find that refreshing as a journalist and as a person, I guess, because I think I'm that way, too. I like people that when they're having a bad day, you know, it, right. That doesn't mean they're rude, but you're just they're They're who they are. They're going to say what they mean and mean what they say. Because that's not always politically correct. And in this day and age, I think we're all very careful and very sensitive to one another, but not to the point of not being true to yourself or sharing your honest to goodness opinion. I mean, I've gotten myself in some hot water on Twitter and on Feinbaum when I said, you know, at the time I said Kyle Trask would be the number four, number five guy in the Heisman race. And, and for two weeks, I was just the dumbest person on the planet. And, you know, of course, he did end up fourth and nobody came back and apologized and said, wow, you were right, Mike, right? But at that time for me to say that when, when he was playing as well as he was, that was really going upstream. But I felt that way. And, and I, I felt like he was going to lose to Alabama. And when he lost to Alabama, there was no way he was going to win the Heisman Trophy. And I felt like Trevor Lawrence was going to climb back into it. And I felt like one or two guys from Alabama would be up there because they'd be undefeated. And that's pretty much what happened. But the point is, I wasn't afraid to – voice an opinion that was different at the time. And David Pollack is the same way. And even sometimes to the chagrin of Georgia fans, David will be, will be um, negative against Georgia if he believes it's, it's applicable. And I respect him for that. Um, Georgia fans are like, I might respect him, but we don't like to hear it. I get it, but he's a professional broadcaster. 
and he's got to maintain um, that objectivity. He doesn't want to be looked at as a homer, right? Desmond Howard, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Michigan State guy, Des went to Michigan, but sometimes Desmond Howard makes Michigan picks, and it's like, come on, Desmond Howard. Do you really believe that, Des? But Des, I like Des because Des can move me. He'll irritate me, and I realize that that's part of his magic. Just like some people say I irritate them, believe it or not. But I enjoy the fact that when I watch Desmond Howard, he's going to move me emotionally, right? I know I'm, I'm a sucker. I'm signing up for it. At some point, Desmond Howard's going to say something I'm going to get irritated by. But I'm going to react to it. I'm not just going to sit there and go, man, is this boring. Desmond Howard is going to say something so ridiculous. I'm going to go, oh, my gosh, seriously, man? Right? And then there's going to be other people that go, I agree with Desmond Howard. Polarizing, right? So I like that. And, and David can be pulled, but I like that. That's his job as a broadcaster. I think he does a good job. Um, but in Herschel, you know, those politics, again, I don't want to touch that. I'm not going to go there. But as a football player, and I've met Herschel, he's an incredible gentleman. He's an incredible ambassador. Uh, he won the Freshman All-American Legend Award in New Orleans. I had an opportunity to sit with him and his wife. Uh, very impressive man. Very kind man, loves Georgia football, and should be honored. So those are just a couple of my thoughts tonight. I'll, uh, gosh, it's 9 o'clock. I held you guys later than I meant to. I'm sorry. Thanks for sticking with me. I had so much fun tonight doing tonight's show. I hope you enjoyed it, too. I'll have my story tomorrow, the five most intriguing defensive players. I've already told you two of them. I can't give away all of them. You tell me. Write it in the comments. I like seeing the questions in the comments. I go back through and I read them. And uh, not just for the Matt Tally jokes, but I like seeing the comments on the show and questions. And I'll go back in and answer them. Um, you know, tomorrow morning, you got Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams. Every day, I know most all of you watch that show. BA's been on a roll lately. He's doing, he's, he's hot. He's hot. And then, of course, tomorrow night, you got Connor. And Wednesday night, you got Jeff. And Jeff is going to have all sorts of things to talk about. Jeff is just killing it on recruiting. He's, I think he's killing himself on the weekends, driving around, seeing all these kids and going to these recruiting ceremonies. Centel's show is going to be through the roof Wednesday. And then Thursday, we've got our cover four where the four of us sit around. And I don't want to say we argue, but we don't always agree with one another, as you well know. But it's a lot of fun. And we have a good time at Dog Nation. So thanks for joining me tonight, everybody. I want you to have a great week. Enjoy the rest of this NCAA basketball tournament. Can anybody stop Gonzaga? Can anybody stay on the floor with the Zags and Mark Few? I'm going to give you, that's my pick. I'm taking the Zags. So that's what I got. That's what I got for you. Everybody have a great week. Thank you.